last one would be soft. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for He has said that He will bring me home. And day by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I the yet not I but it's not what it says in here it's gonna be one I guess just a regular ending yet not I but through Christ in oh and then the, uh, the minor chord yet not I but through Christ Ha, ha, ha. 
200 milliseconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, really? Oh, man. Yeah, yes. that you teach us to keep on going and uh, hold fast in our faith and trust in you and in our walk with you. We thank you for this day and we ask for your blessing as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. And thank you, Adana and team. I love listening to Adana's voice. She comes from Kyrgyzstan with her mother and because English is a second language, she actually sings a lot more clearly than the rest of us, and, <laughs> and our online audience loves it when she sings for that reason. They really appreciate her clarity of voice and singing among us. So it's a quite a gift you share with us, so thank you. Blesses us. We're in Acts 15. Get your Bibles if you would. We're going through the book of Acts verse-by-verse verse, expositional preaching. That's sort of one of the things we do here at the well. We go deep into the Word. Tamara went so deep into the Word last week. In one verse, you uh, covered a lot of stuff. Well, today we're going to cover 21 verses, and why are we covering so many? Because it's a story, and the narrative itself needs to be respected. We need to pay attention to that. Today's passage is called Your Inflection Point. When I was in seminary, my favorite seminary talk was from a bishop in Sweden who was visiting. And he said something I'll never forget. He says, what the Bible meant is super important. You have to be faithful to what the writers were saying. You gotta really go after what they were trying to get expressed. He says, but what's more important is what it means. What it meant is important. What it means in our lives 
is more important. Otherwise, it's just historical study. We can say, well, they thought this and they thought that and they did this and they did that, but how do we apply it to our lives? What difference does it make? The Bible is God speaking to you and me. And so we have to take what it meant very seriously, but we have to take that then and apply it to what it means. And this is a sermon which will be recorded and will be used for a long time, I think, because I'm very excited about it, for anybody who ever feels stuck. You ever feel stuck? And especially, I know there's some young people here, but there's, for older people who have to shift gears as they get older and move on to a different track, a different trail, and do it in a way that honors God and to move into his plan A for our lives. If you're over 40, this will also be good for that. Your inflection point. We're going to talk about inflection points here because that's what happens in this passage. Acts 15, 1 through 21. There are times in our lives when, let's read this out loud, 1, 2, 3, when what got you here won't get you there. What brought you to this place won't bring you to the next place. And I don't know about you, but I'm a creature of habit. If it worked in the past, I want to do that again and see if it works again. If it doesn't, I'll just work harder. But the truth is, we hit times in our lives where what got us here won't get us there. And that's what we see in this Bible story today. It's called an inflection point. I'm going to walk you through what happens in the Bible passage in depth. But this is a graph of an inflection point. And don't get nervous, those of you who have struggled with algebra. But if you can picture a golf ball, you can picture hitting a tennis ball or a golf ball or a baseball, it goes in a parabola. It goes up and it comes down in the same shape it went up. That's called ballistics. Now, if you were to get to the top of that arc with an arrow, shooting an arrow, shooting a golf ball, shooting a, hitting a baseball, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, energy were to be added at that point, that object would go off in a different direction or accelerate or decelerate. Things would change. We've said whatever goes up must come down. It follows a certain path. But there are times in life when at a certain point, everything changes. Let me put it in real simple terms for those of you like me who struggled with algebra. You've seen a graph with an X coordinate and a y coordinate and you graph things by where it is two here four here put it here you can watch trends that way an inflection point is when the x coordinates stay the same but something radically different happens with the y coordinate and next thing you know things change look at this graph on the screen you're going up a certain way and then you hit the top point all of a sudden things change that's an inflection point. You go through them in your life. This church is facing one in a few weeks. I'm in the middle of one as we speak. Because you can do things the same on the x-coordinate, but in the world, when things change on the y-coordinate, we have to shift. And we have to do things differently. And this is hard for us. Who here likes things to stay the same? I, I've got... I love my address, it's so simple. 610 Main Street, I love the way that sounds. I don't want to change my cell phone number. I had toast with peanut butter and blueberries this morning and I always have toast with peanut butter and blueberries. 
I don't like changing wives. I've had them for 41 years, and it's working out pretty good. It's, I, I like knowing who gets in the car with me and who's there for breakfast. It's just, I really enjoy that. I like stability. There are times, however, when God rocks our world and he brings us to an inflection point. And usually at that point, we feel stuck and we have to move in a different direction. Now, that happens in our conversion. When we say yes to Jesus, everything changes. Our future changes, and we end up with a whole different destination. But guess what? It doesn't get finished with your conversion. I've always said this. i say it again. Getting saved is easy. If you're not saved, come up and talk to us afterwards. Five minutes later, we will pray for salvation, and you will be headed for heaven. Getting saved is easy. Navigating life and your calling is hard. Following the Lord in your life is hard. It's a big challenge, and we need to do that together. We need to help each other out with that. So here, who here has faced an inflection point in your life at one time or another? Caterpillars and butterflies. The caterpillar goes along doing its caterpillar thing, you know, just eating lots of leaves and, and snarfing up everything. It's got all those legs moving like this, you know. And all of a sudden it reaches an inflection point. And that inflection point transforms it into a whole nother thing. And when that caterpillar gets transformed to a whole nother thing, the old lifestyle doesn't make any sense. When you folks moved here from Kyrgyzstan, everything changed. Everything changed. You moved here and you're in a whole different world. And your x-coordinate might stay the same, but everything's different on the y-coordinate. This is why learning another language or traveling is so educational. We learn a lot. So, I'm going to walk you through a couple of my inflection points in my life. Not to talk about myself, but to trigger your thoughts about your own inflection points. My dad's study Bible. My dad was an evangelist. And he came home with the coolest study Bible. I was 10 years old. Who here has seen Napoleon Dynamite, the movie? I grew up in a town just like that in Idaho. It, there was nothing happening. Uncle Rico was throwing the football and dreaming about ancient times, and, and, uh, and tetherball was a big deal, the whole thing. It was, it was really boring. It was so boring. I can't tell you. This is back in the days before the Internet. We had two TV channels, and they were fuzzy, and it was just deadly dull. And my dad came back with his massive study Bible with maps in the back and with, with all of these charts and colored things, and it was just the coolest thing ever. It was the coolest thing in our town, which didn't take much. And I didn't have video games back then, so I jumped into this, and that was my video game. For a couple years, all I did was read that Bible, and it changed my life because I got very familiar with the stories of the Bible. And then it's like building coat hooks, and the rest of your life you have a place to put the, the coats because I had, at age 10, I had this outline of the Bible that was pretty, pretty well thought out. That was an inflection point for me. Another one, Mr. Nielsen my gym teacher in junior high, he looked at me and realized that someday I was going to be big and thick because of my genetics. And so he, I was little and skinny, but he could just tell because he was a football coach. And he says, we're going to train you on weights and we're going to get you moving because you've got some potential in football. And he spent a lot of time with me. And I'd never done a bench press before. I'd never done all those things. But I started getting really excited about football. I played football in junior high, high school, college, and 
completely changed my life. Why? Because Mr. Nielsen saw something in me. That one inflection point, everything changed. And to this day, I still do stuff like that. I was down at the gym the other day, and I deadlifted 330 pounds. Why? Because of Mr. Nielsen. Seriously. Mr. Nielsen changed my life. I was sitting on a bus once in college on the way to a hike, and this brash young woman put her Adidas tennis shoe on my knee from behind and said, tie my shoe. I'd never met her before. Forty-some years later, I get up in the morning, and there she is. Get in the car, and there she is. That little inflection point, tie my shoe, changed everything. And Wendy's from Holland, so they speak a different language there. They eat different food. They do all kinds of weird stuff. They build dikes, everything. And that changed the way I saw everything. I'm doing this to try to get you guys thinking about your inflection points, those times where one moment changes everything. Murray Fink a bishop that we didn't get along with very well, a bishop who kicked our church out of the denomination. But before that, he changed my life. I was in Minnesota, I was in Minnesota and I was driving through Iowa with my son. I got a call from Murray Fink. And Murray said, I want you to come to California. And I said, I don't want to come to California. I've got this, that, the other thing, everything's going fine. And he says, well, are you open to praying about it? I said, no. He said, do you think that's spiritually healthy? And I prayed about it, and here I am. Someone I didn't get along with, someone who was very difficult, but that one phone call changed my life. Tamara was a part of that whole process. No, do not make it easy. Carlton. Carlton Garborg, friend of mine from Minnesota. He's a publisher. One year ago, he called me up and said, House, we're translating the Passion Translation and we can't find anybody who does Hebrew and Aramaic because this book is in both Hebrew and Aramaic, different parts of it. And do you know, you know everybody. Do you know somebody can do it? I said, I can do that. Kinda. I didn't tell him kinda. But, <laughs> but I jumped in and now I'm the theological editor for the Passion Translation because we're, we're beefing it up and we're going after the original languages and making it more accurate and all that stuff. And I'm a part of that project. If Carlton hadn't called and asked for that, I would never be a part of that project. These are inflection points. Can you, who here can think of some inflection points in your life where one thing happened, you met one person, somebody said one thing, and next thing you know, you're on a whole different track. Those are inflection points. So let's look at today's story. We have two cities on the map, Antioch in Syria, which is right on the border with Turkey. That's where all the big earthquakes were earlier a few months ago, right around there, and Jerusalem. These were the two biggest churches in the world, and they were both about the size of our church. Actually, Antioch was probably smaller than what we are gathered here. These were the two main churches of Christendom at the time. Antioch was the church that sent out missionaries, especially Paul. Jerusalem was the traditional church who was hanging on to the past. These two churches were frenemies. They were friends and they were enemies. They had, they, they had some things in common and some things they disagreed on. Antioch was way more missional, way more evangelism-driven. Jerusalem was more tradition-driven. 
and more Jewish because it was, after all, in Judea. Antioch was up in a Gentile area. So you get these two churches. Paul came to faith, gravitated towards the church in Antioch, and he and Barnabas were sent out on a missionary journey, and they'd just come back from their first, second, or third missionary journey. Who remembers? This is not a rhetorical question. First, exactly, the first missionary journey, the Galatian trip, and they had done something that got them in trouble. I'm going to show you in just a second. This story has to do with Antioch and Jerusalem. And it has to do with being called into the home office. Paul was called into the home office because he was in trouble. He did something without authorization. And if you've ever been in a corporation where you did something without authorization, you spent some money, you did something, you, you whatever, you hired somebody without asking, there's going to be issues. And it reminds me of being called into the vice principal's office. When I was in junior high, I got to know Mr. Deering quite well. Mr. Deering was our vice principal, and he was in charge of discipline. I was never malicious, but I was mischievous. Do you know the difference? I, I still remember one day, there was a cute girl, and I took her lunch ticket just to get her to chase me. <laughs> well, that'll get you in trouble, because she went and told Mr. Deering, he's got my lunch ticket. So as Mr. Deering always did, and I dreaded his office because Mr. Deering was mean because most vice principals have that vice principal side to them. And he has you sit on a little stool in the corner that's about nine inches off the ground. So you sit there in the corner looking up and he's huge and he's sitting at his swivel desk and he's on the phone and he's doing paperwork and all of a sudden without warning, he did this every time, he spins around and comes right at you. And he does it just to shock you. Where's that lunch ticket? And I was just, just, I was just goofing around. You know, Hand it over, Mr. Deering. I'll never do it again, that kind of thing. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul got called into the principal's office because he did this in Acts 13. Acts 13, 43. Paul was in Galatia on his first trip. Here's what he said. It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles without authorization from the home office. The early Christians were fine with people becoming Christians as long as they kind of said yes to the Jewish thing, as long as they got circumcised, as long as they at least paid some attention to the kosher code, at least if they would just, you know, at least look Jewish or act Jewish, then they could become Christians. We'll be open to them, but they've got to be like us. We'll be open to them, but they've got to be like us. Well, word of that got out that Paul had told people they could become Christians without getting circumcised. He had no authority to say that other than from the Holy Spirit. But he did it anyways. So let's go to our story. Acts 14, 1 through 21. Same thing happened in Iconium. This is on the way back to... Um, it was supposed to be Acts 15. Yep. If you guys could switch it to Acts 15, 1 through 21, that would be super. I've always been numer numerically dyslexic, and I often get that wrong. Let's see here. Acts 15. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria. Remember I talked about the two churches? Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Syria. Some men from Judea, from the church where? What's the other church? 
Jerusalem. Okay, let's get this right. Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, and these men came from what? Jerusalem, Judea, arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So people from Jerusalem went up to Antioch and said, we heard Paul's been converting Gentiles, and they, that's fine with us as long as they what? Get circumcised. Was that the deal that Paul gave them up there? No, it wasn't. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Vehemently. Why? Because they cared about these new Christians. And they knew that if the Jews showed up and says, oh, by the way, you've got to become Jews first. That wasn't the deal. Paul would show up in towns, lay hands on people, ask for the Holy Spirit to come, and the Holy Spirit would come. And he thought, well, that's good enough. If they can find Jesus, let's, let's go from there. But the folks in Jerusalem were not buying it. And Luke, who is always the peacemaker, for him to say they disagreed vehemently means they were, like, getting loud. Who here has seen Middle Easterners getting loud on the news? Now, these, these, they're going at it. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about the question. The church sent delegates to Jerusalem. So they're going from Antioch, they're coming down the map to Jerusalem. They're going to the home office, getting called into the principal's office. Mr. Deering is waiting for them. They stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, and much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers, at this time I want you all to hiss. There we go. The believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, these are believers, these are Christian Pharisees, stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. And this is a big issue. Folks, this whole part of the Bible, up to this point, people were getting circumcised and following the law of Moses, and this is what's left afterwards. So this is coming towards the end of the Bible, and this is a big inflection point, a big shift happening. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Now, Peter had had an experience of being more open to Gentiles. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Why are we going to burden these new converts with all of, this, all of these rules which we were never able to keep? We believe that we are all saved, by the sa by the, saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. If God was working wonders and miracles, then perhaps we ought to pay attention to what he is doing. When they had finished, James stood and said, this is James, the brother of Jesus, the guy who's sort of the CEO at this time in Jerusalem. Brothers, listen to me. 
Peter's told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles, take from them a people for himself. He quotes from the Old Testament. And the conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it's written, afterward, I'll return and restore the fallen house of David. I'll rebuild its ruins and restore it. So the rest of humankind, the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the... And this is in the Old Testament. So he's quoting the Bible. He's quoting the Old Testament to make his point. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is, in other words, he's the decider. My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles returning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, which continued to be a problem for the next generation. Paul continues to deal with this. It doesn't stay done at this point. From sexual immorality, from eating of meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. We'll just make sure they stick to these four, just not to offend the Jews around them. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city, in every Sabbath, for many generations. This stuff is reasonable. This is a compromise. What does that compromise not include? Circumcision and kosher eating. This is a big step. This is an inflection point in the Bible. Arguably, the biggest inflection point in the Bible. Some of you have a trickle of Jewish blood. I know that Wendy does. Most of us don't. The fact that we're gathered here today is we're on this side of that inflection point. And it was a big shift for the people. It's easy for us to look back and say, oh, well, of course, that looks reasonable. But at the time, it was a minority opinion that prevailed. And this became the way things happen. When you came to faith here, nobody insisted you eat kosher or get circumcised. Nobody insisted on that because of Paul prevailing on this issue because he loved and cared about the people. So let's look at inflection points in the early church, in your personal life and my personal life now, what it means in our lives. Some of you are stuck. Some of you are in the second half of your life and you have to rethink where you're headed, what you're doing, and the well. Our church is facing an inflection point in a few weeks because of what's happening with the Methodists and the legal battle and everything else. And no matter what happens, things will not be the same as they were before that. So let's look at the early church, number one of three. Big inflection point. Acts 15 is the big inflection point of the New Testament. Things are going this way and all of a sudden they go this way because of what happened in Jerusalem and because of what James decided, based on agreeing with Paul, basically. Even though Paul wrote back to the Galatians right after this. And he said, they agreed with me. All that, all that they insisted on is that we remember the poor. He left out those four rules in the book of Galatians. So Paul, he, he agreed there with the people, but he's not buying it. He says, Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. There are no exceptions, no asterisks. So when he wrote to the Galatians to tell them about the decision, you can look it up in Galatians, he said, nah, just as long as we remember the poor, they're cool with it. And he also says one verse that is not anyone's memory verse in the book of Galatians. I wish the circumcision party would move the knife up and just cut it off. That's the original translation from Galatians. So he's serious. I bet you didn't cut that one out and put it up on your mirror to look at in the morning. 
I wish they would just emasculate themselves, it says in English, to kind of euphemize what he really says. He had no, no room for this, this whole circumcision thing. So Paul, why was he so vehement? He wanted to protect the conversion of these people. He loved the church in Galatia. And folks, there are people in this church, trust me, there's leaders in this church who would take a bullet for this church. And Paul was willing to do the same thing for the churches in Galatia. If you want to cross one of the people I'm thinking about right now in the church and try to say something bad about this church, there will be blood and it won't be theirs. There's people who are very defensive about this church in a good way. And Paul was that way also about the church in Galatia. We'll look at that funny verse next week because it, uh, it comes up personally. Oh, back to the inflection points. Christians started out as Jews for Jesus. That was clear. Even at Pentecost, all the people there were from different countries. They, you don't go to Jerusalem for a festival unless you're Jewish. And all these different nationalities came to, came to faith. The Holy Spirit came and did some great stuff. And they were Jews for Jesus, basically. But Jesus had planted some seeds of being more universal. He talked about good Samaritans who were outside of the Jewish faith. He talked about centurions, Romans, who had more faith than anyone in Israel. So Jesus was always kind of giving people a foretaste of what was coming. He was always stretching the circle to include people outside the Jewish race. Peter has his non-kosher vision. This is why Peter stood up at the meeting. He'd already had a, a meeting saying, you know, it really is okay to eat these things if God made them. So he'd already had, God was preparing people. And then Paul plants Gentile churches in Galatia. And this is the big inflection point. When James says, two thumbs up, keep it up, that changed everything. So the church had an inflection point. What about you, your personal life now? Here's some clues to whether you are right at the beginning of an inflection point in your life. See if any of these match up for you. You're feeling a sense of entropy, lowering energy. You're on the back nine of this phase of your life. You're working harder and getting diminishing returns. Things aren't working the way they used to, even though you're working just as hard. It's a clue that an inflection point is coming. You're at the end of this season in your life. We all have different seasons in our lives. And those seasons change at inflection points. And you might be facing one if that's the case. You're getting defensive. Every time somebody mentions something, you get prickly. You get defensive about how things are going. If people say, well, could you try this or try that? No, no, I'm doing, I, the way I'm doing is just fine. You get defensive, go into defense mode. Psychologists, look up defense mode sometime. It's fascinating. When people go into defense mode, they lose any sense of rationality. And if you get defensive about things, now all of these might not be true, but if any of them are, you're probably facing an inflection point. Workaholism. You have to work harder to get the same results. The results aren't coming like they used to. If you're in sales, you're working twice as hard and getting not quite as many results. You're not quite getting what you were before. So how do you compensate? Working all the time, working harder at the same thing, even though it's not getting you what it used to. Substance abuse. 
numbing yourself with too much eating or alcohol or drugs or weed or whatever it happens to be and you're drowning and, and you, see, you get stressed out because you see that inflection point coming and you just try to numb yourself from what's going on at this time. A lot of you have gone through recovery and had that inflection point. You know what it's like when the drugs and the drinking aren't doing for you what they used to. And so you get heavily into substance abuse. Addictive media. A lot of people can't go anywhere, can't even walk without their phones in front of them. And you have to see how many likes you've got on everything. And you've got to comment on everybody's posts because you've got to make sure that people think well of you and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you get drawn into the addictions of substance abuse and media. You know, there was a time a half generation ago when people weren't watching TV as much. And then came streaming. And now people just watch way more than they did a half generation ago. And we get addicted to just sitting in front of the screen. Objectification of others. Rather than loving people for who they are, we see them as stepping stones for our lives. You see, if you spend time with people who can move you ahead and you don't spend time with the least of these because they're a drag on you. And you're looking for people who can get you, move you forward. And if they can't add anything to you, don't spend time with them. That's often a clue that you're near an inflection point. You objectify other people. This happens in ministry when people start to see people as potential tithers or potential volunteers rather than loving them for who they are. It can happen quickly, in, even in a church. Glorification of a past season. You know, at the beginning of this season, it was great. I did this, this, and this, and it worked. Go to any meeting of any organization that's doing badly. Let's go back to what we did whenever. Because that's when it was working. But that was before the inflection point, and things have changed since then. People get very nostalgic when they get close to an inflection point, and they use that to avoid doing anything new. Just come up with an old way of dealing with it. Who here has felt at least one or two of these things from time to time in your life, maybe not now, but you get stuck and you face inflection points and all of this stuff starts to kind of rack up and we feel stuck. You always feel stuck right before an inflection point. And our receptivity to the Holy Spirit guiding us through it is the key. Are we going to be open to the Holy Spirit guiding us through the inflection? Because the inflection is going to disorient us and nobody likes disorientation. We'd just assume what used to work will continue to work. What about our church? When what got you here won't get you there. Our leadership has done a fantastic job in this church at getting through the pandemic. Absolutely fantastic job of getting us through the pandemic. But guess what? The pandemic's over. And what got us through the pandemic won't get us where we're going. And we're facing an inflection point. The way we did our finances as a church, the way we did our programming, the way we did everything, won't get us where we're going. We had lots of people watching online early in the pandemic who were lonesome and in isolation. And a lot of those people now have found local churches. And that's good. It's good for them to get back into fellowship in local churches. 
but that changes how we do ministry. And the churches that we planted, we just saw one, Wendy and I just went up to visit one, and Linda and Jesse too, went up to visit one in, in uh, Canada last week. And we've given birth to these new churches. And they're doing really well. And they probably don't need us quite as much as they did before. So we're at an inflection point, and the big inflection point is coming because of the Methodist situation. June 1st, there's a big court hearing as to whether or not the people who rent to us, which is Surf City Church, will be able to keep their property. They've won all of the court battles up to now, but that, this is the big one. And if it goes south on June 1st, and I have faith that it won't, but guess what? I've given up predicting the future. It's really dumb. It, it, the future's never what we think it's going to be. We don't know what's going to happen. If our local congregation wins the court case and can keep the property, guess what? They have no leadership. They have no staff. We're going to have to do something with them and work it out together. We're going to have to do something to move the kingdom forward here in this area. And it won't look like the well during the pandemic. If they lose, then guess what? We've got about a month to meet here, maybe longer, if they give us some grace. Because the denomination will buy the property, sell it to a developer, and bulldozers will be, will be here really soon. If that's the case, guess what? That's an inflection point. Do you see, folks, either way it's an inflection point. And either way, the season of the pandemic is over. And we have to think in terms now of how are we going to move the kingdom forward given the pandemic is over and we're facing an inflection point. We just are. Pentecost is coming up. And I guess I just heard this morning, I'm not sure, I'll have to figure it out and we'll talk on at uh, trustees on Tuesday. But there's people from Surf City Church here inviting us to come together with them on Pentecost. What does that mean? How do we work that out? That's challenging. I like the way we do things here. How do, we, how do we manage that? Is the Lord even calling us to do that? And what does that mean? Because that is the Sunday right before the court day. The Wellosphere. Talked about pluses and minuses. We've, we had people who watched us every Sunday and who sent money, and now they're plugged into local churches, which we encourage them to do. That's going to change our financial picture. But there's pluses. We've planted churches that are going to continue to move on and other ministries too. Our business plan was geared toward the pandemic. And everything we did was geared, ask him, I mean, everything was geared towards broadcasting and getting stuff out and making stuff work and getting this stuff going. In fact, we couldn't even gather here for the first few weeks because our landlords told us we couldn't meet. So we had to figure out everything fast. And that has changed. Fluid and crystallized intelligence. I am 62 years old, and I am reading up on 62-year-old brains. Young men have what we call fluid slash builder intelligence. I was one of those. I've built churches. I've got big things going. And I did that when I was a young man. Same with young women. Young men and young women have that builder thing going. 
You build a family. You build a career. You get things going. I've done that. But in your 50s, you start to develop what's called crystallized intelligence. And guess what drops off? Your fluid intelligence and your intelligence about building things. You don't ask a 62-year-old to build a big church. They don't have what it takes to do that. We don't have the mentality to do that. When you're young, you say, put a load on me. Let's do this thing. When you're old, you say, well, look at this side and that side, and it's, it's bigger than you think. There has to be, in our church, a transfer of leadership from older people to young people. Now, the older people like me still have to hang out here because we still have a role. But we need to put the driver's wheel in the hands of some of our younger people because they can drive and build the church because they've got the mentality and energy to do that. I'm meeting with young people, and all young people, if you consider yourself long, young, are welcome to do it. I'm meeting with them every Sunday at my house, every other Sunday for lunch to train them into leadership. Wendy, I am. I anybody wants to come? We've got lots of hamburger patties. They're frozen from, where was it? Say, never mind, smart and final. But crystallized intelligence is the kind of intelligence which I have at this age where I can write a report on the church in Canada and how Christianity is moving in Canada, send it to the Alliance of Renewal Churches, and they're going to act on it because I see the big picture. Or I can look at a book of the Bible and I can look at the different layers of the languages and pull it together. Older people have wisdom in that sense. I can do that. And that's different with an older person and with a younger person. This is why ancient tribes were the deciders were elders, people who would decide things. But the builders, like Jesus and Paul, were young men. Jesus was 33. Paul was probably the same age. These are young men who get stuff done. Young men, young women, people who make stuff happen. So we've got that issue. We've got an inflection point coming up with me. The leadership pipeline is dry. There's no way we can, well, not no way, but almost no way we can find a young leadership and young pastors outside of our church. Seminaries are closed. My seminary closed. We had 55 people graduate in my class and they just sold their building. And they're moving in with the Catholics, which is fascinating. Bringing their resources over. They just gave their library away to the University of Chicago. It's just gone. Bible colleges are a fraction of what they used to be, even faithful ones. There is no pipeline of young people coming in. We've got to raise them up from within here. We have to do that. We have to raise people up from within. The leadership pipeline is dry. Surf City Church is not going to be able to find a pastor. There is no way. They're cutting themselves off from the Methodist denomination to start with, and the Methodist denomination doesn't have any pastors either. So they've got a whole bunch of issues they have to deal with. Here it's not an issue of worship or teaching. Our, our worship culture is fantastic that Kim has put together. Our teaching is solid. It's other stuff we have to grow in. It's other stuff we have to grow in. We have to work on building the Lord's church. And that takes young energy. We have to keep anxiety out of the system. That's my job, by the way, is to keep anxiety out of the system because anxiety never helps anything. I just told Jeff this morning. Do you ever get through a rough year and you say to yourself, yeah, it was a tough year, but the anxiety got me through it. Nobody ever says that. Anxiety doesn't help. 
So we're going to keep anxiety out of the system. We're going to meet like we always do as trustees, and we're going to try to look at this inflection point and find out what the Lord is going to do with it. And that makes my stomach turn over a little bit, but on the other hand, every inflection point the Lord's brought me through so far has been a big plus. And so the Lord's got this for us. Besides, this church has experience going through inflection points. Oh my goodness, we've been through so much stuff. We are like gymnasts when it comes to this stuff. We're good at it. Luke 12, 32. Have no fear, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is in Luke 12, 32. So we don't have to worry about this. God will get us through this. But we have to be receptive to his guidance. We have to be receptive to what he has us do. So, do you see the inflection point here in the church in Acts 15 that they're going through? Do you understand that we go through this personally in our own lives? We go through inflection points. Do you see where our church is facing a big one in the weeks to come. Yes, we are. We're facing inflection point. And w there's no way around it. We're going to go through it, and we're going to be better on the other, other side of it. There's no question. Here's some barriers to navigating inflection points. These are some things that get in the way. We'll close with this. Too much thinking, too little Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us everything we need to get through this, and will give you everything you need to get through your inflection points. The Holy Spirit guided the church through it in Acts 15, and we're all here because of it. Overthinking never helps. Listening to the Holy Spirit always does. Pride. I'm afraid I might look silly if this fails, so we can't try this. I'm gonna, I want to look good no matter what happens. I want to I make sure people respect me and my image Remember I talked about objectification? We objectify other people? Pride is objectifying yourself. It's turning yourself into a commodity that you hope goes up in stock. And you've got to keep your image, you know, whatever, all the way through. Pride gets in the way of inflection points. We stick to what we've done because we've always done it. Over-identification with past roles I need to be willing to be more of a teacher and an elder and less of a driver in the church. We need younger drivers, and we've got them in this church. We just have to affirm them and help them and fund them. Physical and mental stuff, paring down. We're pretty good at paring down in this church. Why? Because we've moved so many times. Moving. Who here has moved a house and got rid of a lot of stuff? When you move, you get rid of a lot of things. And we're going to have to pare down. We're going to have to pare down as, uh, as a church and pe as people too. There is no reason for people to have storage units. If we've got storage units, we've got too much stuff. It just really comes down to that. We really do need to start. Wendy and I are getting rid of one thing every day for 365 days. I got, I got rid of three pairs of hiking boots yesterday. I don't need five pairs of hiking boots. I really don't. And getting rid of things is part of it. Tamara, I think of the house that you've inherited, and that's a lot of stuff in there. And for you to be able to move, you've got to <laughs> get rid of stuff. We've got to get rid of not just physical stuff, but also mental stuff and old ways of thinking if we're going to be able to move forward as individuals and as a church. The devil wants to tell you you'll always be the way you've always been.
And that's an absolute lie, scientifically and biblically. The mind is incredibly plastic. You can change any behavior. The Lord can change anything in your life. You don't ever have to stay the person you've been. Fear of humiliation and failure. Look at the word humiliation. There's another root word in there. Humility. The willingness to look bad in front of other people. The willingness to fail. The willingness to try something. The willingness to give it a shot. The willingness to look silly. The willingness not to have to, pr to prop up your image and that objectification of yourself. Another one, what worked in the past inflection point will work in this inflection point. What worked for this other church will work for us. What, well, at Mariners, they did this, so we should do that. Folks, we're all at different points. We're all at different places, and we have to follow different paths. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. Three points I've made today. Just want to make sure you've been with me the whole time. We benefit from Acts 15. We are a church because of what the Jerusalem Council decided. They made it through their inflection point. They did it well, and they did it in such a way that we are gathered here today. So we're benefiting from the inflection point that they went through. Number two, personal. You may or may not be facing an inflection point. But if you are, this will give you some tools to get through it personally. God's plan for you is such that chances are what got you here won't get you there. And just continuing to beat the drum on the old stuff will not get you where you need to go. Working harder won't get you where you need to go. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And our church, we have no choice. We are, we're facing an inflection point. And I have absolute confidence that this church will come out better on the other side than on this side. Inflection points are fantastic places for the Lord to upgrade our lives if we let him do it. Let's stand and pray. Lord, uh, personally, I know there's people in this room because I know a lot of people in this room that are facing big inflection points. And we cling to that old arc, that old pattern, sometimes as long as we can. I know people that cling to dying careers just because they want to barely make it to retirement. I know people that put off big decisions because it's too scary, even though you've set it all up for them. Lord, I pray for our trustees that are meeting on Tuesday because we're going to do what we always do, listen to you. And we're going to be just fine. We come against the enemy, Lord, and all of his anxiety in our personal lives and otherwise. We give you thanks, Lord, for Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and James who found a way through a complete shift of thinking and we're the result of it. 
I pray, Lord, that you give each person here who's facing that shift a glimpse of how beautiful it can be on the other side. You hold their hands and guide them through it, which you love to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.
This morning I woke up and I said, I need to pray before I go to church. And God gave me a scripture and it was rejoice, pray without ceasing, and give thanks to the Lord. That is your purpose and that is the will of God for your life. And I'm like, awesome. And the first song that she sang was about rejoicing. And then, you know, all those other things. And so, I know House was pointing at me when he said, you're in a time of uh, inflection. And I guess when you're 60, you're at a time of, of inflection. And I think the majority of us are reaching that age or about that age. And we need to think, how are we going to face all these different things in our life? How are we going to face the change <clears throat> in the church next door? And we just need to rejoice in the Lord always we need to pray without ceasing and just give thanks to the Lord and and hallelujah it's the Holy Spirit that's going to guide us and it's not an accident that Pentecost Sunday is coming up we need to be open to receive the Holy Spirit like never before we need we can't just talk about it we can't just learn about it we need to receive it this time and we need to be walking and talking and thanking the Lord for the Holy Spirit. So have a beautiful week. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful worship time, the beautiful word that we heard. We thank you that it touched our hearts in a different place than ever before. And we can learn to walk in the perfect will for our life is to rejoice, pray without ceasing, and give thanks to the Lord. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.